Would you please pray a Hail Mary with me? Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou, woman, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Is there a way we could fix the feedback we're getting here at all? All right, thank you. I assume if I had hearing aids, that'd be really difficult to deal with. So, um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Father Zach Weber, and I've been a priest for six years, going into my seventh year. And um, Ben Plokar and I grew up together. And then when we were in college, he met this girl named Abby. And then kind of later on, it came like they got married, and voila. And then I got to know the family. And then Larry came to my ordination. and was very involved, um, inviting me to different space fests. Went my first one, my first year of priesthood. And then he told me one of the worst things I ever heard. I'm a Cubs fan. I was like, ugh. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a Brewers fan. Um, but Larry said, now you're, now you're part of the family, which Alan and so many people have told me. So I just want to say thank you for welcoming me into your family. But um, I'll be Catholic with you, but I'll never be a Cubs fan with you. So um, we, used to have a say, we used to have a saying that um, Cubs stood for completely useless by, by September. That was kind of our saying as Brewers fans. Um, but then it came to like 2016, and you know, we're heading into an election, no one knows where things are going. And I thought if the Cubs won the World Series, the world would end, we'd never have the election. And then the Cubs actually won the stinking thing. It was just like a, an amazing thing. I, my best friend uh, from seminary, uh, Father Mark Bernhard, he was a Cubs fan, and he was crying. <laughs> he was crying. He's like, I never thought I'd see this day that I think uh, Larry and anyone else is a Cubs fan. Uh, could, can relate to that. Now, as a Brewers fan, we have many, many more years to go to get to 108 years. Um, but nonetheless, just want to say it's an honor and a privilege to be here with you. And just to, from my heart and Father Jonathan's heart, uh, our condolences go out to you. Now, three things just to focus on today. The first thing is, is the gospel. The second thing is the promise. And the third thing is to grieve. The gospel Somehow, at some point in, in Larry's life, he heard the gospel message, which St. Paul says is power, explosive power, and it brings about hope. And the gospel, the way it's been presented to me, is it can be asked in, in four questions. First question is, why is there something instead of nothing? Often we blow past that in, in catechesis and in, in going through faith formation. The second question is, well, if that's true, like, what, what went wrong? What happened? The th- third question is, if the gospel is true, what, or if that is bad stuff happened, like, what, what has God done about it? And the, the, third, the fourth thing is, how should I respond? So the first thing, the gospel. Why is there something instead of nothing? The way the Catholic Church presents that to us is that God, out of his infinite goodness and effortlessly, he created a universe that is 90 plus billion light years across. And he created galaxies and stars and planets. But out of everything he created, what he desired is a relationship with you and me. And he desired deep abiding communion, absolute union, so we could share fellowship with one another and have peace, have harmony. And that was God's original plan. Which goes into the second question, like, it, like, like what, what the heck happened? What went wrong? Again, God created everything effortlessly, even the angels, and and one of the angels, out of envy of you and me, 
the human race. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, out of envy, he chose to rebel against God. And what he did is somehow he tricked our first parents, Adam and Eve, in believing that, that God is not good. God does not want me to be happy. God is disinterested in my life. And when Adam and Eve first sinned, that broke the Father's heart. The creator of the universe, that broke his heart. And what they did is they, they sold the human race into powers that you and I cannot compete against. Those powers are sin and death. How powerful is sin? Well, just ask yourself, have you ever done something you didn't want to do? You, know you, you knew you shouldn't do it and you hated doing it, but you did it anyways? It's because sin is a power. Now, I'm a college chaplain. I'm in three years, three years deep, right in the middle of the pandemic, came in, and often students would come to me saying, Father, I don't think yoga is a big deal. I don't think underage drinking is a big deal. I don't think drugs are a big deal. I don't think it's a big deal to spend nine-plus hours a day on my phone. Which I would respond with, well, since you said it's not a big deal, then just stop. And they can't. Because sin is a power. And to be sold into slavery, to, to know how bad the bad news is, so you know how good the good news is, it's important to know how bad Satan is. Like, Satan hates us. He rebelled against us because we're made in the image and likeness of the one that God loves most. So how bad is hell? Imagine you've been human trafficked. You're in a room, you're all alone, you're bound up, you get abused every single day, you can't sleep because that makes you vulnerable, and that's going to be your life forever. Which leads in the third question, what if anything has God done about this? So there you are. You're in a room, you're all alone, no one's coming for you. You're hopeless, you're beyond despair. You can't sleep again because that makes you vulnerable, so you're completely exhausted. You don't know what day it is anymore. But then one day someone walks in the room. And they put their hand on your shoulder, and that makes you nervous because that, that, that means you could be hurt again. But this person exudes peace. This person exudes love. They come in front of you and they kneel down in front of you and they just look at you with the love, the love and a gaze you've never received before. For the first time in a long time, you feel safe. And he begins to unbind you and untie you. And he wants to walk you out of that room. And that kind of scares you because you know who's out on the other side of this room, the, the human trafficker, the fiend who's been making your life a living hell. When you walk through the threshold, you notice that now he's all bound up. Like, this is what Jesus is doing on the cross. Like, you can't put God on the cross unless he wants to be there. Jesus is actually doing something very military-esque. There's a lot of military people here. What Jesus is doing, he's going behind enemy lines. What he wants to do, he's hiding, he's camouflaging himself behind human flesh because he's baiting Satan on the cross because he, he wants to go behind enemy lines. He wants to go to hell to get everyone back. Why? Because you're worth the trouble. Because you matter. And like, if that's true, which is the fourth question, if that's true, how should I respond? Like, isn't it to trust him? Isn't it to have faith in him? And somehow Larry had that. He heard this message somehow that he knew in his father's house there were many dwelling places. 
And if there were not, like, why would Jesus have said that, right? And Jesus said, and if I go prepare a place for you, I will come back again and take you to myself. Like, we have to know today that God created Larry. So we're here to pray for the repose of the soul of Larry. And thank God for creating such a beautiful man. And the second thing is today is, is promises. When I was in the hospital, when Ben called me to come to the hospital, um, Alan came to me a little bit and he, he gave me this. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> now it all makes sense. He gave me this. You can't see it, but it's a, it's a holy image of the sacred heart of Jesus. Why is that so important? And the promises, so, in, so important for us today. Jesus made 12 promises to anyone who had a devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus. And Larry was given this right before he went to Korea by his grandma. It was in 1672, Christ appeared to a French visitation nun named Saint, now St. Margaret Mary Alico. And many visits, he told her, tell people about my, my love, my burning heart that burns for them, and have them come to Mass often, receive communion often. And they said, if people devote themselves to this image and to the devotion of receiving communion on First Fridays, there are 12 promises for anyone who has a devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And lo and behold, here I hold what Larry carried in his wallet at all times. Alan told me that when he got a new wallet one time that he was just searching and searching and searching and searching and searching for this because it meant so much to him. You guys wonder why Larry is such a good man. It's because he had this understanding of God's presence in his life. He heard the gospel and he accepted the gospel. And that came through the sacred heart. What are the promises of the sacred heart of Jesus? The first one is, if you have a devotion to this image and to the sacred heart of Jesus, I will give them all the graces necessary in their state of life. Did it ever seem like Larry was lacking grace in his life? Now you know why. I will comfort them in their afflictions. You all were around Larry when he was passing. When I was there, it was maybe 20 or 25 people coming in and out of his room. Promise number two. Promise number three is I will comfort them in their afflictions. I'm saying number two is I will establish peace in their homes. Sorry. Number three is I will comfort them in their afflictions. Number fourth is I will be their secure refuge during life and above all in, during, in death. No, Alan gave this to and showed it to everyone in the hospital room. This was Larry's refuge. You wonder where he got so much peace from. It's from the sacred heart of Jesus. Number five is the promises. I will bestow abundant blessings upon all their undertakings. Like, it seemed like everything I hear you all say about Larry is that he was just so blessed and things just happened. He had this, this I would call it, magnanimity about him. This understanding of God's presence in his life. And it became so graceful. Sixth one is, sinners will find in my heart the source of an infinite ocean of mercy. Larry knew that God was merciful, that God would forgive him. Seventh promise is, is that lukewarm souls shall become fervent, which means 
There was no, I mean, look at, look at Larry. Like, we see lukewarm. He had a, a fire in his belly, right? The eighth promise is fervent souls shall quickly amount, amount to high perfection. Where would you find Larry on Sundays? He'd be in church. He knew he had to thank his creator. He had to thank the God of the universe. The ninth promise is I will bless every place in which this image of my heart is exposed and honored. Again, when Larry thought he lost us, he, he thought he lost something of, of deep importance that most people wouldn't understand. The tenth is for priests. It says, I will give priests the gift of touching the most hardened hearts. That means some people here today, with the gospel message I just shared with you, there's hardness around your heart. I, mean, I just pray today that the Holy Spirit falls upon you and begins to soften your heart to come back to the Lord. The eleventh promise is, those who shall promote devotion to this image shall have their names written in my heart. And the twelfth promise is, I promise you in the excessive mercy of my heart that my all-powerful love will grant all those who receive Holy Communion on First Fridays for nine consecutive months the grace of final perseverance. They shall not die in disgrace, nor without receiving their sacraments. There's been so many times as a priest, and I'm sure Father Jonathan can share too, where we, we, we get a call to anoint someone on, on their deathbed, and one of these images shows up. The sacrament of anointing the sick is to prepare the soul for heaven. And that's what we're here to do, to pray for him. So then he can indeed pray for us. Here in our gospel today, Jesus says, where I'm going, you know the way. This is one of the ways to follow Jesus. But some of us are like Thomas. Thomas is known as a doubter, right? He says, Master, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father, the creator of the universe, except through me, says Jesus. We're praying for Larry to go home, to be with his creator. But the thing is, if we have an, a warped image of God, we'd say, how, how, how could God allow him to die? Like, why is that? Again, death is not a part of God's original plan. But Jesus conquered the powers of sin and death to win us back to know that we matter that much to him. We pray in this Mass for the repose of his soul because as we pray for Larry to enter the other side of the veil, that means you can still talk to him. One of the beautiful things about the Catholic faith is that we believe in the communion of saints. When Father Jonathan calls the Holy Spirit upon the bread and the wine today as it's transformed into the body and blood of Jesus, all of the angels and all the saints are here. They come to be with us because a good God would not want you to be separated from your loved ones. That means the closer you are to the Eucharist, the closer you are to the Mass, the Tabernacle, the closer you are to your long-lost loved ones. You might not be able to see them, but you for, for sure will feel them. And a good God would do that. But then we find ourselves here. Part of the liturgy today is to help you grieve. Science with tears is a beautiful thing. When we, when we actually shed tears, Abby talked about having ugly cries, and by, by all means, go for it. Let them out, because what I'm going to tell you is important for everyone to hear. When you cry, actually acid is released. And when you don't cry, that acid actually builds up in your body, and you actually have pain. It causes pain in your body. 
So even the God of the universe and the person of Jesus wept. Jesus wept over his best friend Lazarus when he died. The God of the universe, the one who created everything, Jesus, wept. He also wept over Jerusalem, knowing what they were about to do to him so he could come to be saved, to be safe in him by being brutally beaten, whipped and scourged, imprisoned, mocked, spat upon, punched in the face, and nailed to a cross to prove the Father's love to us. So hopefully that would be enough. But then there's these stages, and have you heard the stages of, of grief as we go through these months to come? There's a woman named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She observed five stages of grief. First one is denial. Second one is anger and then bargaining and depression and acceptance. And apparently when you move through those five stages, you're all better. If you ever studied those stages, she says you move from one to the next to the next to the next. It's probably not going to be that way. You're probably going to go all over the place. It's going to be a smorgasbord of just craziness um, because someone God created is no longer here. And that, that grief is like being shipwrecked. Some of you are experiencing that because it's important to grieve. In America, often when we grieve, someone says, oh, just take a couple days off of work. Are you kidding me? Oh, just um, go on vacation. They're not here anymore. There's going to be times as, as you come up and you go through these different stages of, of grief, you go back and forth and it takes years and years and years to grieve. And, and what is grief like? And why does everyone here need to grieve? Again, Jesus wept bitterly over Lazarus and he wept over Jerusalem. The God in his humanity wept. I wouldn't necessarily call it an ugly cry, but he wept, right? I know Abby spoke about a poem to be read, but that's what I'm going to do because I, I research these things and I'm like, what is grieving like? Because as a priest, somehow, somehow the Lord sometimes protects us so we don't break down when we, when we preach all the time or whatever it is or celebrate the Mass. And this is um, a poem from an unknown lady. I don't, I don't know who wrote it. I couldn't find her name approach to it, but this is to help you grieve. But also when you're with other people, you know, sometimes... They need, they need permission to grieve, and you can just give them a tissue and say, it's, it's okay. And how the Holy Spirit works is as you go through the months and the years to come, sometimes you'll be sitting there miles away from somebody, but their name keeps coming up. Their name keeps coming up. I'll use Alan's name. So if I'm praying, and Alan, 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 the Holy Spirit wants you to call Alan and see how he's doing. And if Alan says, I'm okay, or I'm fine, just... To let you know, okay and fine are not feelings in any psychological catalog. <laughs> so to say, I was praying and your name came up and I want to know how you're actually doing. And that's how that, that bond that you all spoke so beautifully about of the, of the Spade family is going to remain. Because wouldn't Larry do the same thing? Because he had this devotion to the Sacred Heart. And now we're here to grieve in this image of the Sacred Heart. Jesus' heart is on fire, but it's also bleeding because of the crown of thorns around it, because of the cross that he was nailed to. And sometimes the cross is the only thing that is stable in moments of grief. 
So I'm going to close with this, with this poem of what grief is actually like. You find some pieces of the wreckage and you hang on for a while. Maybe, maybe it's some physical thing. Maybe it's a, a happy memory. Sorry, I, I'm a little ahead of myself. I'm going to start over here. Excuse me. As you greet, as for grief, when it, come, it comes in waves, when the ship is first wrecked, you're drowning the wreck it, with all the wreckage around you. Everything floating around you reminds you of the beauty and magnificence of this ship that once was but is no more. And all you can do is float. You find some of the pieces of the wreckage and you hang on for a while. Maybe it's some physical thing. Maybe it's a happy memory or a photograph. Maybe it's a person who is also floating. And for a while, all you can do is float, stay alive. In the beginning, the waves are 100 feet high and they crash all over you without mercy. They come 10 seconds apart and don't even sometimes give you enough time to catch your breath. All you can do is hang on and float. After a while, maybe weeks or even months, you find that the waves are still 100 feet tall, but they come further apart. And when they do come, they still crash all over you and wipe you out. But in between, you can breathe, you can function. You never know what's going to trigger you and your grief. It might be a song, a picture. It might be a street intersection, the smell of a cup of coffee. And the waves just keep come, coming and crashing. But in between, there's life. Somewhere down the line, and it's different for everybody, you'll find that the waves are only 80 feet or 50 feet tall. And while they still come, they come further apart. And eventually you can see them coming. The waves are an anniversary a birthday, Christmas, landing at Mitchell International Airport. You can see it coming, and for the most part, you can prepare yourself. And when it washes over you, you know that somehow you will again come out on the other side soaking wet, sputtering, still hanging on to some tiny piece of wreckage, but you'll still come out. Take it from an old guy. The waves never stop coming. And somehow you don't really want them to, but you lean on that. You'll survive. You learn that you'll survive them. Other waves will come, and you'll survive them too. If you're lucky, you'll have lots of scars from lots of loves and shipwrecks. That's what grief is like. That's what some people here are going through. But what gives us hope is the gospel. What gives us hope is the promises of Jesus. And as Larry's body is here, we pray for his soul to be with his God who created him. We give thanks and praise to, the, to God, but we also just take a moment of silence to pause, to pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us.
the one thing I want to end with is that the Father's mission, he, the Father's mission is done because he sent his Son. Jesus' mission is done because he conquered sin and death on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the Father. But the one thing that Jesus wanted to give us, to comfort us, to console us, to encourage us, to free us, was the Holy Spirit. If anyone knows me, I pray three words all the time. It's very simple. It's come, Holy Spirit. And then just wait and watch the waves calm. And to know that our God is so good that you're not separated from Larry. We pray that he'll be here in masses to come. And maybe you too can take up a devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus. To know that this is what fueled him. This is what made him such an amazing man. So we'll close by just simply resting for a moment by praying the words, Come, Holy Spirit, three times. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.